0: You're listening to a four-part series about the cross taught by Pastor Ryan Couch at Calvary Chapel, Crook County. If you have your Bibles with you, let's join Pastor Ryan now. Colossians chapter 2, if you guys got a Bible, if you don't, there's some in the back. Uh, We are in the midst of a four-week series on the cross, and typically we go through books of the Bible chapter by chapter and verse by verse, but we've taken kind of a, a few weeks here to look at the cross specifically leading up to Easter and uh, this this morning we want to look at the result of the cross last week we looked at the reason for the cross and this week the result of the cross and so if you have your Bibles Colossians chapter 2 verses 11 through 14 we'll read it and then we'll go through and look at a few things in him you were also circumcised with the circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the sins of the flesh By the circumcision of Christ buried with him in baptism in which you also were raised with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. And you being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us. And he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. And so we want to look at four things this morning, four results of the cross. The first is holiness. If you look at verse 11, he talks about the circumcision of the flesh. And of course, in the Old Testament, circumcision was a big deal. And, and, and the the fleshly circumcision was something that they had to do to obey God. and And yet in the new testament in in god's work in our life today it's not so much the physical circumcision as he's looking for as it is the spiritual it's not the outward but it's the inward and just like baptism is a outward sign of an inward change so so circumcision was supposed to be an outward sign of an inward change And God isn't concerned with the the outward sign as much as he is with the inward change. And that's what he's talking about here. That through the cross, we've been circumcised in our heart, in our spirit. That the bondage to sin is taken away. We've been given holiness. That's the first result of the cross that I want to talk about. Is that we've been given positionally holiness. Before you knew Jesus, you we in bondage to your flesh. You had no choice but to sin. Before you knew Christ, there was no choice but to sin on your part, on my part. We were in bondage to our flesh. But when we came to Christ, we were given the opportunity to obey him, the opportunity to live apart from sin, to have victory over sin. And Jesus said in John chapter 8 that he who sins is a slave to sin. But now we've been made slaves of God and we've been given his holiness as 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21 talks about that, that he who knew no sin, speaking of Christ, was made to be sin with our sin. He took our sin and he gave us, as that verse goes on to say, his righteousness. It's one of those amazing trades. And, and maybe you, know, you like to trade stuff. I know when I was in school, I loved to trade baseball cards. And once in a while... I would find a kid whose parents were rich, and they would buy him all the baseball cards, but he didn't know anything about baseball, and he didn't know anything about baseball cards. So I love those kids. And we'd say, hey, you want to trade baseball cards for lunch, over lunch? You know? And you know, I'd just make these ridiculous trades with them, right? Because they had no clue. They just had all kinds of cool stuff. And I learned it from my sixth grade teacher, Mr. Jakowski, who would just rip us off on a regular basis. He'd be like, hey, Ryan, you want to hang out during recess and trade cards? And be like, after about the middle of the year, is like, no, thanks. You, you, know, you know way too much, and you've been collecting cards since like the 50s, and you're, I don't want to get ripped off anymore, you know. So, but this trade that God made with us, I mean, it's totally a ripoff for him. He gets our sin, our guilt, our shame, the wrath that was uh, hanging over us, death. He gets all that and we get his righteousness, eternal life, the fruits of the spirit. It's not a good trade, but God loves us so much that he was willing to do that. And he gave us his holiness, positionally speaking. And you guys, when you understand your position in Christ, when you understand who you are in Christ, it begins to translate into your practice. When you understand that you're holy, that you're set apart from sin, that you don't have to sin anymore, you will sin But when you do, you have an advocate, you have the blood of Christ to cleanse you from that sin. And when you understand you don't have to sin and that you're declared holy by God, it begins to translate into your practical daily living. But if you try to drum up righteousness and holiness on your own, it is a futile effort that will lead to discouragement and failure. And ultimately, it will lead to you just saying, I can't do this and you'll quit. Or it will lead to hypocrisy and legalism. And we're going to talk about that as well. But God has given us holiness. You are holy. You are a saint. That's why Paul, when he writes the letters to the churches, he calls them saints. He doesn't call them sinners saved by grace. He calls us saints. That is who you are. That is who I am. The bondage to sin is taken away. A second thing I want to look at is eternal life. Verse 12, it says that we were buried with him in baptism. You know... When you're baptized, I personally, the right way, I think, you know, full immersion, right? The, the, the good old fashioned dunk them and, and get wet and hold them down forever, you know, kind of thing. I think there's a, there's a point to that. And I'm joking when I say the right way. There's lots of different ways people do things. But I think there's a reason for full immersion is because there's a picture going on that, that our old life is being buried with Christ and we're being raised to newness of life. And and that's what Paul's talking about here in Colossians 2:12 as he says we were buried with him in baptism our old man is put to death the old man is put to death and now we've been raised with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead and so we've been given eternal life in Christ previous to coming to Christ you had a sentence really of eternal death we are eternal beings but we would be living in a constant state of eternal death, eternal separation from God. But he's given us eternal life and therefore the fear of death is taken away. You talk to people and from a, you know, temporal standpoint, public speaking might be people's number one fear, but I think the fear of death overall is people's number one fear. It's it's something that innately and intrinsically we have this this nature, this instinct that wants to survive. And I don't think that's wrong. God's created us with that. But the fear of death comes from a lack of understanding of what is beyond this life. And if you think that this is all there is, then man, you better cling on tight because this is it. This is, this is the show. And when it's over, it's over. But if you understand that beyond this life is, is really where it begins, If you understand that your last breath here is your first breath in heaven, and in fact that you you really never, there's no in between. This idea that you just kind of float around for a while or do something weird like that is not biblical. The Bible tells us that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. That's the hope that we have. That's the hope that Paul wanted them to understand as he wrote these letters. The hope of heaven, that we need not fear death. Now it doesn't mean we need to be on a fast track to death with our diet or you know, step out in front of a train, you know, I'm going to heaven. Yeah, praise the <laughs> Lord. You know, that doesn't mean that. But it it also means that we're not fearing it, that we're not dreading it, that when it comes, it comes. You know, and I think my dad, who's who's right now basically dying of brain cancer, I think my dad had a had a real fear of death, especially when they told him, when they wrote on his chart twelve months, I think that he had a, a real fear of death, and and he wept, and my mom wept, but as God has been doing a work in his life, I, I went and saw him uh, a week ago. Uh, Daniel and I went up there, and, and, and Daniel played some music for him, and, and Daniel played that song that we did this morning, uh, that you'll never let go, and man, that song really ministered to my dad, but as my, as I'm watching my dad lay there and I'm seeing God do a work in his heart and in his life and he told my mom, he said, you know what? I want to keep living. I believe that, you know, the I want to be used by the Lord and my dad's never uttered those words really that he wants to be used by God and, and that he wants to use this thing that's happened in his life for good. But he says, you know, if I do die in, a, in within months or a year, he said, I'm not afraid, I'm ready. And you know, you guys, that... That's huge for us, that we would not fear death. And that's a result of the cross. It's something that Jesus has given us as, as a result of the cross. It's what Jesus said to his disciples as he was about to depart from them. And they're like, what? They, they'd become so attached, so in love with their rabbi, with their master. And he said, you know what, I'm leaving. And they never really quite understood what he was trying to communicate with them. But he said, look, where I am going, there you will be also. Let not your heart be troubled. And maybe you're troubled about death. Maybe you're getting older and maybe you're starting to have some some physical ailments. Or maybe you're younger, but you're just contemplating death. I remember as a little kid, I'll, I'll never forget this image in my mind of sitting on my kitchen floor when I was about five years old. I remember I was staring at the refrigerator, and we had the, this linoleum that was supposed to look like bricks. And I'll never forget, I was sitting there, and I was contemplating death at five years old. And I was contemplating where I came from. And it, it just all these things were going on in my mind. And I'll never forget that. And I'll never forget asking my mom and, and her having no answers, except that, you know, we're Americans, so we're Christians. All right, And it wasn't for years later that God began to give me answers to these questions. And you know what, you guys? We have hope beyond this life. We've been given the hope of heaven. We've been given the promise of eternal life. And there's, need, there's no need to fear death, as we see here in verse 12. A third result of the cross is forgiveness. Look at verse 13. And you being dead in your trespasses. That was our state before coming to Christ. We were dead in our trespasses. Let's not try to glorify it. Let's not try to make it sound like something other than what it was. You know how we're really good about glorifying the past and seeing things through rose-colored glasses? Oh, man, it was so cool back in the 60s or back in the 80s or whatever it was that you weren't walking with the Lord. Or maybe it was back in, you know, the year 2006. I, I don't know, but it was so cool. We look back and... And we think with fond memories of, of maybe you even begin to coin it as the good old days. And, and God says, you know what? You were dead in your trespasses. You were on the fast track to destruction, to hell, to eternal punishment for your sin. And yet, through the cross, we've been given forgiveness. Forgiveness is one of the most important words in the English language. Forgiveness. Forgiveness. It's a legal term. It means that all of the legal requirements were taken care of. That condemnation is taken away. We're no longer condemned for our sin. See, the the verdict had already been laid down. You're guilty. And the sentence and the punishment for our sin had already been handed out. It's death. The wages of sin is death. You are guilty. But then Jesus took the punishment and paid the price and so we were let go we were exonerated if you will because he paid the price for us it's not like god the judge said you know due to the overpopulation of the prison system i.e hell uh you we don't have room for you so you're you know you can you're set free that happens all the time in our legal system right there's no room for you or somebody else gets let out to let somebody else in and and that's kind of a joke. That's not at all what's happening here. Nor did God say, you know, it's really not that big of a deal and just kind of sweep it under the rug. No, it had to be taken care of. There was plenty of room in hell. The Bible says that, that death basically never ends. It never is satisfied. It's never quenched. The fire is never quenched. And how you interpret that and what you think that means, it's not what I want to get into today. But certainly and clearly, eternal death is biblical and separation from God. And and yet through Christ, the condemnation for our sin is taken away. We've been forgiven. And that's why the Bible says there's no condemnation for those of us that are in Christ. And see, I almost call this forgiveness, guilt is taken away. But then I thought about it and I was like, you know what? Guilt is not necessarily a bad thing. God uses guilt and he'll continue to use guilt in our life to drive us to the cross. But condemnation is what the enemy uses. That's a tool of the devil to drive us away from Christ. And so maybe right now you, you have guilt and it's a healthy thing. And God wants you to be driven to the foot of the cross For you to confess your sin, which is to agree with God and to get right with Him. And maybe that's a good thing for you right now. Don't, don't try to assuage that. Don't try to, to pretend like that isn't there. Take it to Jesus. But that's the appropriate response. It's when we don't take it to Jesus, when we isolate ourselves, when we don't talk to the Lord, when, when we allow it to drive a, drive a wedge between our relationship with God. That's when it's a, a, a tool of the devil. God wants to drive us to Christ. And then it's there that he can deal with it at the cross. And so forgiveness. We've been forgiven. I hope you understand that. And maybe this morning, you've never allowed Jesus to forgive you of your sins. You've never allowed him to cleanse you and to give you a new nature. And as this verse says, you are dead in your trespasses. The, the verdict has already been handed out. You're guilty. And you're dead in your trespasses. And and you can continue to to try to pretend like it isn't reality, but it is reality. And God is extending His His grace to you this morning. And He's saying, Look, I want to forgive you, but you need to allow me to. You need to invite me into your life. And it's it's a simple act of faith, trusting God, and, and then allowing Him to do that work in you. And the last thing I want to look at is in verse 14. It's a relationship based upon grace that we don't have to approach God in our works, that approaching God by our works is taken away. He says, Having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. There were legal requirements. There, there was a law of perfection that you and I needed to keep. And if we didn't keep it, we were guilty and you might say well yeah but there's lots of good people and i mean there's people that walk their dog and you know they they give to save the whales and and they're nice and they're friendly and they smile and they they wear you know those gap t-shirts that you know most of the money's donated to help people in africa and i mean they're they're cool people they don't litter and they love and yet, what we don't recognize is that our heart is deceitfully wicked. And we say, yeah, but there's evil people. There's people that murder and rape, and there's terrorists, and there's dictators that kill thousands of their own people. And and obviously, from a human perspective, there's no comparison. There's no comparison to the guy that helps old ladies across the street and, you know, cleans up litter and stuff like that. There, there's, no, there's no comparison in, in that to Saddam Hussein or to some serial killer but from God's perspective he sees our heart and none of us measure up so it isn't about comparing it's about having the the understanding and the perspective of God the way he sees it and that we're sinners by nature and some of us have given ourselves over to sin in in more powerful and more destructive ways some of us are are kind and gentle and friendly by nature and it's part of our personality and some of us are intense and kind of abrasive and can kind of be a jerk by nature, and God is working through that. But that has nothing to do with our heart and what God is wanting to do with our heart and the fact that we're separated by our sin from God and that we have to approach Him by His grace and not by our works. And see, approaching God by our works, it sounds really good. It's like the American way that you pull yourself up by your own bootstraps, that you get it done. That you figure it out, and if you don't do it, who else will? And you know, you work hard, and and God is going to see that, and He's going to honor that, and He's going to see your hard work, and He's going to see that you were a good person. And yeah, you made some mistakes, but man, you tried to make up for those, and, and the effort that we're putting forth, the the good works that we're bringing to the table, they're actually offensive to God because we're telling God that I don't need the cross. I don't need your grace. I'm good enough on my own. And the Bible says that our goodness, that our righteousness, is like filthy rags, literally minstrel cloths. Not really something that's of any value. And it isn't that God wants us to live an evil life, but that He wants us to understand that we don't have any goodness in and of ourselves that is enough to be accepted by him and that he wants the goodness that, that we are producing and demonstrating. He wants that to be for his glory so that no man can boast that it's about him. It's not about us. And see legalism produces pride and arrogance. Legalism produces a me versus them mentality where I begin to compare myself with others. And that's really how I define legalism is when I look at other people To define how good of a person I am. That I compare myself with others. And I can always find someone else who's worse off than me. Who's more of a sinner than me. I can find some guy that's in the gutter. That's just beating his wife. You know, kicking his dog across the yard. Screaming and yelling. Doing drugs. You know, cheating on his wife. I can can find that guy and feel good about myself. And think, wow, you know, I'm a good person. But what Jesus wants is for us to compare ourselves to him. And when you do that, you feel like an absolute piece of garbage. It's just like, you know what? I've got nothing. My heart is wicked. I'm full of pride and selfishness and arrogance and self-centeredness and anger and bitterness And I don't love people the way Jesus loved people. Yeah, I pretend like I love people, and I'm really nice to their face, but in my mind, I'm thinking they're an idiot. See, that's that's the kind of stuff that Jesus wants to deal with. He wants to deal with our motives. He wants to deal with our heart. And see, we can put on a good show, and that's what legalism does, and that's what it produces. And you know what? By and large, the church is at fault for producing legalistic people by saying, hey, put on your Sunday best." And it isn't just your clothes, it becomes the way that you present yourself. And this facade that we put up, right? This facade that, that we put up in so that people think that we've got it all together. And we don't want to admit that we make mistakes. And we don't want to admit that we have failure and weaknesses. And when people ask us how we're doing, we say, oh man, I'm doing great. And we think it's about us and we think because I wear a Christian t-shirt, I got a bumper sticker, I know the lingo, I wear a cross, I do these outward things, I've got the, the right kind of speech, I listen to Christian music and God thinks, hey, that's all cool, that's, that's great, but that's not what makes you acceptable to me, I could care less about your Christian t-shirt or any other of your Christian paraphernalia, care about that at all. What God cares about is our heart. What God wants is our heart. And God doesn't want us to come to church and to get around Christians and act like we've got it all together when inside we're completely falling apart. It's the mindset of the Pharisees and Jesus called them on it. He said, look, outwardly you look awesome. You're like a whitewashed tomb, but inwardly you're filled with dead men's bones. You're separated from me. Your heart is not close to me. And that's why... Here at Calvary Chapel, and I'm not saying we do it perfectly by any stretch of the imagination. But that's why my desire is to be real. I might say things that most pastors wouldn't say. Not because I want to be crude, not because I'm trying to be crass, but because I'm just going to talk the way that I would if I was talking to you normally. I don't, I don't, there's nothing sacred about this area right here. I don't change when I get up here. I don't all of a sudden become a different person. You know, God said in the book of Colossians, you know, all of a sudden become some weirdo. I'm who I am. This is it. What you see is what you get. And some people think, man, you know, I'm not sure if, if that's right. But if you think about it and you understand that God wants us to be who we are and he wants to change us, certainly. He, we need to repent of our personality sometimes. It's not like, hey, just, just stay the way you are. It's all good. I love you the way you are. And, and you never have to change. No, God wants to, to bring us through a lot of that stuff. And, and, you know, God wants to change us, certainly. But don't pretend like something's going on if it isn't. Don't pretend like there are things that you are doing that you're really not doing. It's deception and it grieves the heart of God. Because, you guys, we don't have to approach God in our works. He's not concerned with that. What he wants is you. He wants you to approach him by his grace and his grace alone. And, you guys, his grace is an amazing thing that we need to understand and that we need to grasp and that we need to apply. We need to experience his grace that we might extend his grace. And it's, it's not easy to experience his grace let alone to extend it. But the more you experience it, the more you come before God and you say, God, I've got nothing to offer you and I've blown it, but I thank you that you love me despite me and that you'll never leave me nor forsake me. The more that you get up and you go to church or you go to Bible study or you go to home group in spite of maybe the failure that you see in your life. See, often people isolate themselves. And they're struggling, and you don't see them for months. It's like, hey, man, what's going on? Oh, I've been struggling. So, you've been struggling, so you isolate yourself? This is where you need to be with a bunch of other struggling people. But what happens is that we all act like we've got it together, so the one person that's struggling thinks, I can't go there. They're all perfect. They won't understand. It's because we don't admit failure, we don't talk about doubt. Ooh, doubt. That's a word you don't use in the church. Why don't we start being honest? Why don't we start saying, I doubt God. I doubt his presence. Sometimes I don't even know if I believe he exists on a particular day. Sometimes I question the word of God. Sometimes I read it and I don't understand it. And I hope you know that that's true of me. That oftentimes as I'm reading to prepare a Bible study, I think, Lord, I don't know what this means. And I think about, you know, when we get into books like Job and I, and I just kind of dread it. Just think like, yeah, there's some cool stuff, but Lord, I don't understand half of that book. It's just kind of dry. I don't understand what's going on there. And it's okay to say that. It's okay to express what's going on in your heart. And when that happens, you guys, when we begin to be real with people and not kick people when they're down and not act like we've got it all together and, and, and everybody else is our inferior, what it does is it frees us up to be the body that God has intended us to be. And when one part is hurting, the, the whole body helps it. When your back hurts, you don't rip your vertebrae out and throw it in the garbage. When when your head hurts, you don't, you know, cut it off. When when you have a toothache, you don't say, can you rip out all my teeth? They hurt, you know. Well, you deal with the one. And, and God wants us to deal with the one. First us, deal with our heart. And then allow that work that he's done in us to to then translate into other people's lives. And you guys, it's about grace. And when you understand grace, you you don't care about what other people are doing anymore in the sense that you're not looking down. You're not thinking, oh, did you hear about that guy? You don't go, oh, yeah, you know what kind of music they listen to? Did you see the book they read? You don't care about that stuff. Do you know they have a TV and it even is hooked up to cable? (sighs) Can you believe such things? It's just about grace and extending grace to others as you've experienced grace in your own life. And man, there's a story that I don't like to tell because I almost cry every time. I cried first service. I'm really going to try not to do this service. It's a story about a guy named Scott Nelson. And, and Scott used to come to the, the, the Calvary Chapel Bible College when it was up in the San Bernardino Mountains, up in Twin Peaks. And he used to share uh, there periodically. And he was a pastor in Tennessee of a church of about a thousand people. And Scott had two kids, uh, an older son and a younger son. And his younger son was kind of going through a phase where he was having to be disciplined a lot. And, you know, he was just kind of being rebellious and talking back. And they were having to spank him often. And, And Scott would say, every time that I spanked him or I disciplined him, I would say to him, look, I want you to understand that I love you even when you're bad. I want you to understand that. And... And they would they would always say that to him because they wanted him to understand that it wasn't about that they didn't love him but that they did love him and that's why they were disciplining him and that's why they were spending the time and the energy to to make sure that he understood right from wrong and they would extend grace to him so Scott played the, the church had a, a basketball team they played in a in a church league uh, basketball program and and they had a good team. And every year, they finished second to First Baptist. Every year. And he got really tired of finishing in second place. And so one year, they thought, this is the year. They had five starters, four of which played college basketball. And the fifth was the best player on the team. So they thought, this is it. We're going to smoke First Baptist. We're going to win the championship. And it was kind of a big deal. And, and so the championship game comes. Again, it's First Baptist against scott's church there's a thousand people from scott's church and a thousand people from first baptist there's two thousand people in the stands and scott's bringing the ball up the court and the guard guy's guarding him comes up and just runs right into him ball goes flying he goes flying lands on the court and as he lands on the court he thinks to himself okay these refs often make bad calls so I'm going to prepare myself that they might call the foul on me. Just, just I'm going to prepare myself. Didn't want to lose it, you know. 30 seconds goes by and, and he's kind of like waiting and, and no call is made. And so he just kind of like, you know, is waiting for a call and, and there's never a call made. And, and they're like, come on, get up, let's go. And he's like, wait, th- there has to be a call here. And he's thinking this in his mind and and he gets up and he wasn't prepared for that. And he gives the ref just a super dirty look like, come on, somebody's at fault. And I know who it is. Are you blind? All that was kind of expressed in the look. And the ref gave him a technical foul. He didn't say a word. So at this point, he loses it. He just he was not prepared for any of that to happen. And he says, I called him every name but wonderful. Just cussed him up one side and down the other. And you remember, there's a thousand people from his church there. Friends, family, you know. And and it's kind of like one of those surreal moments where he probably all of a sudden realized, Oh my goodness. And he starts to look around. They teed him up again, which, you know, tossed him out of the game. And so he goes out into the, the corridor, into the hallway, and he's just weeping. Thinking to himself, like, My career's over, you know. I mean, who's gonna come back to my church? The guy, you know, the that cusses people out and screams and yells, and who's going to ever come back to this church? I'm done. My family, I've let them down. I've let my church down. And he's just weeping there. He feels like he's let God down. And just at that moment, his son, his youngest son, comes out and he says to him, Dad, I want you to know that I love you even when you're bad. I want you guys to know that, that God loves you even when you're bad. You've been listening to Pastor Ryan Couch of Calvary Chapel, Crook County. For more information, you can write to us at P.O. Box 378, Prineville, Oregon, 97754. Thanks for listening, and God bless.